watch Tim wishes you good luck and Godspeed. Space Monkeys, blasting off on XCVM and the composable cross-multi-chain future. Back again, we have Brain Jar, founder of Composable Finance, and Sean Lonlegay, or the Web3 philosopher, working to make the trustless bridging future not only a reality, but possibly an understatement. Guys, welcome to the show. Hello, sir. Great to be here. Very nice to have you, Brain Jar. Our listeners are already very familiar with you, and it's been great since the last time we spoke to learn more about the rest of your team. Sean, I know you used to work directly on Polkadot. Maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit about how your thinking has developed and evolved since the time before you joined Parity to how you're thinking today. I, I started crypto back in 2017. Looking into the technology, understanding that it was actually software because I'd been seeing crypto around on the internet, and I just figured it's just one of the many, you know, Ponzi scams that you know float around the internet. <laughs> but then realizing at the end of 2017 that it was actually software, right? And it's like you know this new kind of software which is distributed. It's like powered by cryptography. It just it, it felt like a nerd snipe, and I just had to go down the rabbit hole and try to understand what this new technology enables. Aside, of course, just from like a payment system. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, reading the Bitcoin white paper, uh, trying to play around with a few blockchain clients in Rust, then stumbling on a parity job ad on the subreddits, on the Rust subreddits. Okay. And of course, applying and getting in uh, because I'd been doing a lot of Rust open source contributions at the time. Um, and then, you know, working on the parity Ethereum clients uh, that was written in Rust and then transitioning to Substrate. You know, it's been a long journey. And at yeah. the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. I just, you know, sort of went along with my curiosity. But then working at Parity gave me a very fundamental, you know, perspective shift that, you know, this is not really about the technology. It's about a philosophy. It's about this idea of decentralization. It's about this idea of, you know, bringing power back to the people who create uh, stuff for the internet. So, um, working at uh, working at Parity, working on the subject framework, uh, yeah. being confused all the time, you know, because I was basically <laughs> out of my depth. Um, okay, I was working with technology that I really just learning on the job and trying to figure it out and trying to ask questions and trying to like badger all the you know senior devs about what exactly I'm doing. Yeah, um, and it's only really now that I'm I've left the, I've left the company and. I'm able to look back at my time and see or understand the things that I did and like everything is now coming into perspective. Mm. I first learned about Substrate at this, you know, team at this team retreat. Uh like I'd seen I'd seen the repo, but I didn't really understand it. And then we had this team retreat in Paris and then you know Gavin Wood properly presented the idea. And that was also another like mind-blowing moment for me because it was like, okay, there's all these things that could be enabled if you just had a simple framework that allowed people to build their own blockchains. You know, mind you, I had already been looking into how to build blockchains and I looked at the Bitcoin clients, I looked at all these other, you know, the Ethereum client and sure they were great, but then, you know, you would have to assemble a lot of parts to build, to essentially build a blockchain. And then okay. you know, Pyrex was just essentially going to give people all these free tools and allow everyone to build their own blockchain. And that was amazing. I thought that that was going to be the future. And clearly it is showing itself to be right now because we're starting to see lots of different application 
uh, layer blockchain frameworks like Cosmos SDK on the side. And I think we'll, we will still see more, in fact, because uh, the idea of you know being able to spin up a new blockchain is still very new. Uh, not a lot of people yet understand that concept yet. Understanding that you know blockchain is a philosophy and then being exposed to that core philosophy, as you know, a lot of the people at Parity were previously Ethereum people and they just carried that ethos with them. And it's really, really an amazing environment, I would say. And sort of picking on that philosophy and then you know, bringing that as well to composable finance. Amazing. And uh, you mentioned the Cosmos SDK there. You've kind of been trying to make Polkadot and Cosmos talk with each other, right? And we recently had the merge of the beefy uh, client into the Rococo testnet. Can you can you uh, enlighten us a little bit more about what that's all about? Yeah, definitely happy to. So uh, the story about the beefy uh, protocol getting merged to Rococo has, you know, it's been a bittersweet one because... Um, so at, at Composal Finance, you know, we're trying to build out trustless bridges from our parking to other um, blockchains. One of them just happens to be you know, the Cosmos ecosystem, yeah. who pioneered this whole IBC messaging protocol slash framework. And uh, from, so from our perspective, we needed some sort of way to you know, prove finality about our parachain messages to, uh, say, a Cosmos SDK blockchain. Yeah. And so there's Grandpa. And you know, as you know, Grandpa is the finality gadget uh, for Polkadot. But then, Grandpa doesn't really provide the necessary APIs that parachain developers can easily use to you know do bridging. Plus, Grandpa finality proofs are just ridiculously massive. They are impractical to be ver- to be used for verification. You know, on say you know really really expensive uh, contract environments, say the EVM, for instance. Okay. And so the bridges team, which is I think a new team in parity, sort of figured this out. And they were tasked with, you know, designing a bridging protocol that would allow for, you know, cheaper, uh, you know, smaller finality proofs. And they came up with Beefy. Um, and they've been testing it, you know, on and off. And then at Composal Finance, we realized that this is, we're going to, if we're going to be able to bridge efficiently to other blockchains, we desperately need what the bridging team is working on, Beefy. Mm-hmm. And you know, we pitched them, like, hey, we could definitely come on board and try to help you guys out in any way we can. Because we, you know, our whole tech stack literally sits on top of this technology. Mm. Um, and so after a lot of back and forth, you know, the bridging team wasn't really excited to work with ourselves, I'll be honest with you. And we did send in a lot of PRs <laughs> that eventually got closed uh, okay. because they wanted to do it by themselves. Oh. And then, you know, just imagine that bittersweet moment, like two months, three months after, and they alert us, that, oh, hey guys, yeah, we know you needed this stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's now on the testnet, you can go play with it. So, you know, it enables, it enables our, you know, bridge, our bridges uh, to the Cosmos ecosystem as well as to other ecosystems that we will announce in the future. One of the things I really admire about your team is that you guys just kind of get down and dirty and build whatever you have to build. Cosmos, has it always been on the roadmap? I think it inherently was kind of always um, on the roadmap. Like the vision was always to like uh, have this kind of, cross ecosystem vision realized and so um but i don't think we were like as strongly gunning to like develop centauri until sean and i really got talking uh, in depth about it um and then we actually decided to like really push it because i think there is like you know a lot of other initially like the, the actual maneuvering in the beginning was actually quite painful because like 
people were saying, oh, some other team has a grant. You, should, you guys should go talk to them. It was kind of weird, like very, uh, like people almost discouraging us or pushing us away from like even exploring this stuff. And so that I think <laughs> inherently pushed the two of us to like really want to own this and push this out. What do you think that resistance was all about? Nepotism. No, yeah. I would say nepotism. I would agree. Honestly, it was really just like, we talked to like so many different people. I think yeah. it took us like a month to actually get to the point where we realized, okay, none of these people are going to help us. Mm. We need to do this ourselves or else like, it's just never going to happen. Okay. Um, and so I'm glad that we like, to be honest, the, the turning point for all of us was when we met with uh, Jack Zampuin. Right. And he decided to actually, like, he was like the first helpful person in this journey for us. Um, and so I think, yeah, we were like, from there, then it became a super high priority item. And then we started thinking more and more and quickly realized, okay, uh, you know, let's also just go sort of like, deep into IBC and, and, you know, have it, you know, have this, have our parachain essentially become the first IBC enabled parachain. How, how do you describe IBC? I mean, it's different than XCM. Yeah, this is definitely for Sean. Go ahead, sir. Okay. All right. So I, the difference between IBC and XCM from like from a high level is that XCM was designed to be used by parachains, right? It's designed to be the messaging format for parachains to parachains. Mm -hmm. um, as, as you know, parachains are intended to be application chains in, in a sense. So it's kind of this naive like uh, implementation where, okay, if we think of uh, parachains as you know specific, like, application specific, and then you have two parachains that must talk to each other, they could just communicate with XCM. But I think it's more likely that people will host smart contracts on parachains and it becomes very tricky to you know integrate XCM into this sort of architecture. Okay. And for me, I think that's where IBC comes in because IBC is actually designed from the beginning to be a uh, messaging format between two applications, like not necessarily a blockchain, uh, uh -huh. but instead just an application that manages its own state and can you know process messages and send out messages. Um, and one more thing is IBC is not you know, designed with any blockchain architecture in mind. In fact, okay. the only requirement that your blockchain should have is that it has a light client protocol. Um, if it has a light client protocol, then that's it. You can, you can literally build uh, an IBC module for your blockchain um, and provide that, a, that API to mm -hmm. applications that live on your blockchain to use that to send and receive messages. Okay. And then, of course, luckily for us, um, mm -hmm. you know, the parachain architecture, you know, allows for uh, light client proofs because you know, Polkadot was designed to be decentralized from the, from day one. And so they mm -hmm. have this grandpa protocol that then we can then build beefy on top of that, you know, gives us more efficient light client proofs that then allows IBC to exist on any parachain to be honest. Okay, that's interesting. So just real quick, light clients are already here on Polkadot? They're already in use? Yes, yes, they are. They are. Um, we, we have grandpa light clients already. Um, mm -hmm. But then, like I said, for more efficient like data costs and like computational costs, the beefy, the bridging team came up with beefy. Mm -hmm. And so we will see beefy go live sometime this year, primarily mm -hmm. because there are plans and you know, it's been floating in the ether 
or a Polkadot to Kusama bridge. Yeah. And this will really be enabled by Beefy, not Grandpa. Do you ever see parachains communicating with IBC? 100%. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, okay. 100%. Yeah. What would be the advantage uh, of doing that instead? I mean, so the thing is to open channels between parachains, you kind of need to do like a Polkadot governance proposal, right. all that jazz. Yes. It's a waste of time, you know. Okay. Um, and besides, you know, these governance proposals, they require a lot of dots for teams that just want to you know, quickly prototype an idea and send messages to another chain. They don't have the luxury to start like trying to do all that, right? And that's where IBC comes in. And it gives you the same trustlessness as XCMP, mm-hmm. but like you don't have to do a governance proposal to open channels. It's entirely, you know, up to the two blockchains to open up a channel between each other. Okay, got it. So through your Centauri bridge and connecting to these, what would you say, IBC? I would say to IBC-enabled blockchains in general. Okay, okay. Uh, this is a huge component of your XCVM. Uh, Brainjar, can you give us a broad overview of what the vision of XCVM is? One of our like core value adds as a team is like we're probably the earliest people who actually had like novel ideas about what a cross-chain application would actually look like yeah. from both a DeFi perspective, but also other things as well. And I think... Um, it's naive to imagine protocols like layer zero, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, just like basically just, first of all, like it's not trustless. So we're not going to get into that unless you want us to. But <laughs> I'll, um, link, I'll link to your little graphic below. With the, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think, um, you know, that like traditional interoperability solutions don't come inherently with uh, orchestration layers, right? So like, even if you, like, let's just take Axelar or layer zero as an example, right? Like, okay, you have some nice packages, you have some tools and stuff, but like fundamentally you still need to do a lot of the connecting, uh, between two different contracts yourself. Hmm. It really makes for the experience, like the experience ends up becoming like number one, heavily EVM oriented. Uh, and number two, like you have to look at things in a very function by function basis. So you have to think about like, okay, if this, if I have layer zero pass this message from this chain to this chain, like what does it do? Right. And so this is like very, very like bottom up building mm-hmm. uh, on top of an interoperability solution. And so the other approach, which I don't think people are going to realize is valuable until we show how much faster and easier it is to build a cross-chain application using XCVM. But the better approach is, well, write something and deploy it on our parachain and then have this orchestration layer basically orchestrate messages passing from chain to chain to, to, to do a specific desired outcome. Mm. Uh, and that's like very much so like top down development. Uh, and so like the hope is that XCVM becomes a framework, uh, where people see kind of like, not what they want to do, uh, sorry, not how they want to do things, but can specify what they want to do. And then sort of like abstract away the complexity of like needing to, you know, find specific contract ABIs for, uh, you know, performing a swap or like, 
uh, routing something for, for lending stuff like that. Um, and honestly too, like when you really think about if TradFi is going to actually integrate with DeFi, are they really going to want to, you know, make a decision about a chain and, and, you know, from there, like actually build something on that chain and then tap into it. Like more likely they're going to just want to just tap into a series of SDKs and uh, just like communicate with those, with those like endpoints. And for us, like that's, that's really the vision for XCBM is essentially becoming a framework uh, where someone can specify in a contract what they'd like to accomplish and this application becomes a natively cross-chain DAP that taps into the various transport layers that we're building, including IBC, XCM, Mosaic, et cetera. So in, in, a, in one sentence, yeah. what XCBM really is, is just introducing this concept of cross-chain smart contracts. Okay, because as I understand it right now, like let's take an example like Sushi. They have to build basically like a fortress on every chain they want to be present on. And then they need to figure out how to make all those different uh, instances of the same application communicate. Exactly. So for instance, if layer zero wants to like, uh, say, builds endpoints between the different sushi instances to do whatever, they would have to basically like go function by function, contract by contract and specify like, you know, we want this message to be passed to this chain to do this specific thing. And it just becomes like a bit of a grueling process, right. I would say. Yeah. Whereas in our approach, we would just write a contract that says, okay, like do this, this, and this. Um, and then basically messages are just getting orchestrated according to uh, the contracts deployed on our chain. So it's very just like, it's subtle, but it's very different like in practice this place of deployment, it's, uh, it's Cosmosm, right? Yeah. So they're going to be deploying it onto our pair chain, okay, okay. Uh, but they're going to be right. They're going to be writing it in the Cosmosm framework, which is Rust. We chose Cosmosm as the framework because people already are using Cosmosm. Everything on Terra is written in Cosmosm. So like, and then multiple chains, Osmosis, Juno, et cetera, in the Cosmos ecosystem are using Cosmosm. So I think uh, maybe some people will be unhappy that we chose Cosmosm versus Ink. Right. But and Ink, Ink is the um, just more mature code base, I suppose. I mean, to be honest, like the reason, like one of the main reasons, so two key things, okay. right? First of all, no one really uses Ink right now. Uh -huh. So like... And there's already been, and I think Cosmosm has already been battle tested. And like the fact that there's billions of dollars already in Cosmosm contracts yeah. makes me believe that like, it's, it's just, if we're going to go to market, it's the better go to market strategy. Yeah. Number two, just seeing like how quickly, um, like our XCBM lead zero X code jug, mm seeing how quickly he's been able to uh, like get abreast of Cosmosm versus Inc and seeing his experience with both has made me feel that um, other developers would face the same 
type of efficiency experiences. Sean, what, what are you seeing as far as developer adoption going uh, with Wasm smart contracts? I actually didn't know about Cosmosm. I thought we were, you know, still waiting on more people to catch on. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm like everyone else in the Polkadot ecosystem who is sitting on the sidelines waiting for Inc. to just rise up from the ground and just take over the Wasm contract environment. But, you know, that hasn't happened. No. And, you know, there's now doubts that it will ever happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense to explore alternative contract environments. Um, Cosmosm is growing. It has a developer ecosystem. I think that's really all that matters at this point. I definitely agree. I think like there is, we had to come to a decision at some point, right? Where we were like, what are we going to, like, how are we going to do this? And I think that the single biggest thing is just adoption, right? If there's already like a bunch of people learning Cosmosm, like to do a bunch of stuff within Cosmos, if you see all the big chains like Osmosis integrating Cosmosm, you you definitely start to realize that like uh, better to start from square one than square zero. Mm-hmm. Plus, I would say Cosmosm was built with IBC in mind, right. Right? right? So it's already like designed. I don't think people are using Cosmosm at the moment as a cross chain smart contracting like framework that much, just because like mm. it's still very early, yeah. but. It was designed with IBC in mind. Before we leave the whole Cosmos discussion here, I'm just curious, in that part of the crypto world, what's one or two things you're seeing on Cosmos that are just just super cool, like you think people in Polkadot should know about it? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think um, IBC is like very underrated. Um, I think how we like how we're approaching kind of expanding IBC to other ecosystems um etc is like i think going to be long term a bet that will pay off for sure um so i think ibc is definitely heavily underrated i think as far as like new products and new things coming out uh i mean osmosis has really like i think flawlessly executed on their dex mm. plans um and yeah, honestly, like hopefully we can replicate that type of success with Pablo. Um, but yeah, I would say like interchain accounts is something that's super interesting. Like being able to uh, essentially access your account, your your assets uh, on one chain while basically being uh, like interacting with a with your account on another chain. Oh. Um, I think that's very bullish. Like, I don't think we have a similar concept in DAW. No, right? no. There's like a, sure there's don't. like a process to making them usable on another chain. You have to teleport them over. We might even consider down the line, like adapting interchain accounts for, um, like a composable name service type of concept. So like, yeah, being able to interact with assets and other chains. Um, with like one set of accounts basically. So I don't know, I think we're barely scraping, like what's really bullish about Cosmos, I think, is they have like the rate with which development happens and shipment of like things like interchain accounts, et cetera. Like they seem to just be continuously delivering on these core interoperability features. 
Um, but it does take a while for um, developers to actually understand, okay, what can I actually do with interchain accounts, mm. right? And so I think it's, it's ripe, it's an ecosystem ripe for somebody who is smart and can understand what a cross-chain application looks like to go in and use these primitives. And I think we're, we're like trying to be that player, essentially. Going forward, you know, as this interoperability concept becomes more prevalent in the minds of a lot of people who are in the crypto space, yeah. eventually everyone's just going to fall back and just see the IDC for what it really is, an open standard that was blockchain agnostic from day one and provided really all you needed out of the box. What do you think the people at Cosmos should understand more about Dotsama that would really open their eyes? I would say definitely the technology, um, you know, Polkadot, Substrate, all these technologies are built from the ground up um, from by people yeah. who had experience building blockchains, uh, multiple blockchains, in fact, the practice team had built the Ethereum client from ground up. They had built the Zcash client from the ground up. And so when it comes to designing and architecting you know, blockchain systems that are highly efficient, highly scalable, uh, that provides very, very flexible developers, uh, very flexible APIs to developers, you know, Substrate is definitely leading the pack on that one. One of the things that I would say is that when I was at Parity, um, everything in Substrate had to be generic. Everything in Substrate had to be, you know, configurable. And at the time, I was very, very irritated because, number one, it introduced, like, the massive compilation time to Substrate. Substrate is notoriously slow to compile because of the generics and, you know, compiler resolving all these generics. But now working at uh, the application layer on the parachain, if these things weren't as, you know, generic and as configurable as they are, it would be very, very painful to, to do IBC, for instance, like we're able to implement this whole pilot IBC subsystem on our parachain, right? And so, yeah, yeah. I, I'll definitely say that the Substrate framework is way ahead of the pack. The idea of shared security as well, you know, having a single blockchain that has other blockchains that derive their security from from it is also another idea that's way ahead of the pack. And I think we'll, I mean, we're already seeing idea people coming up with this, like uh, with AVAX subnets. And um, uh, and I, 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 I still think we'll see more and more hubs. I think there's Octopus Network with their app chain as well. So... These are these are these are concepts that I would say you know are also we ahead of the pack. Uh, you know, runtime upgrades. You know, having a, your your the business logic for your blockchain being Wasm, and then having that code be stored on the blockchain itself, and then having you know on you know this sort of on-chain governance that allows you to upgrade the logic of the blockchain. Like it is allowed for Google to you know deploy features on a piece by piece basis. You know, they recently just released the XCM for Polkadot. So like also being able to upgrade the runtime logic of your blockchain is amazing. This not having to fork and then coordinate with validators and without and then risk, you know, people saying no to your changes and you know just spawn off their network uh does wonders. Yeah, I'm I'm curious, like with all the development you're talking about on Cosmos, like how do they get that done? Are they constantly forking or is it yeah. or is it stuff that doesn't require Yeah, a fork? no, definitely it's really? it's constant forking. It's I think it's not you have to coordinate with all the validators. Uh basically you have to all your validators are essentially, you know, hive mind, right? Uh, whereas on chain, if if the upgrade process was on chain and you know people could vote for it, then you could def you could then vote for things that are good for the network and not just you know developers coming up with whatever they like and then you know basically forcing everyone else to agree to these changes. 
Very cool. Now, you guys are uh, doing a demo of XCVM at Decoded at the end of next month. I think you're also going to have uh, something there for, for people to play with. Yeah, so actually, this is this is a good time to actually just announce um, we're actually setting up like sort of like side events around Polkadot Decoded. It'll be like a two-day event, kind of like Amsterdam style. Yeah. We're calling it Composable Decoded <laughs> because I think it's like the first time uh, that like not only I mean, so yeah, like I'm going to conferences now, like going to the Gateway to Cosmos conference mm-hmm. in Prague. Like we're also getting a lot of our other. We're sort of like now realizing that COVID is over, kind of, yeah. and uh now we're like trying to actually get out there so we're doing like a two-day event so yeah there's the workshop that i'll be doing um regarding xcvm at in berlin for polkadot decoded after that there will be a two-day um sort of like we're gonna have panels with people from cosmos people from parody etc um, but nice. also like interspersing some some workshops as well where people can play around with um XCVM and hopefully we can attract some developers to come in and uh, really just think about like what type of applications are possible. Because I, I tweeted something recently. I was like, yeah, the same five cross-chain apps get used by like all of our competitors whenever they talk about the cross-chain future. Okay. And I think it's I think it's really true, right? Like. When you look at Axelar, you look at Connects, you look at Layer Zero, like these guys don't really know exactly what cross-chain ap- applications mean. Right. Like they kind of just, I almost feel like they just copy paste like a lot of the stuff I wrote about back in like July when no one was reading any of my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's really what it is. It's like, yeah, we're going to build all these interoperability solutions, et cetera, but if we don't have any innovative people thinking about what a cross-chain app could do beyond the basics, then none of these projects really matter. Okay, so you, you just announced you guys are doing your own event. What city is it going to be in? It's Berlin, yeah. It'll be in Berlin. You're doing Berlin. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So we've covered Cosmos, the IBC side. That's going to connect to every blockchain that does light clients. Who else does light clients? There's Near, um, ETH2, uh, ZK Sync, I believe. Um, we're also like, I've also been playing around with the idea of like potentially spinning up a, this is something actually I wanted to talk to you about Sean at some point, but, uh, spinning up like a, uh, kind of like our, either our own subnet or some sort of like roll up on that lives on top of, of, uh, Celestia or Sevmos or whatever uh, that could like serve as like a hub into EBM. Cause I think it's going to be like, yeah, there are some chains that are just quite literally, they don't have like clients like Solana. I think we'll also see like in the future, more and more EBM copy pasta L1s that don't support like clients. In the meantime, for these EBM chains that don't have like clients, uh, you have Mosaic. That's right. Okay. How's Mosaic going? Last I saw you were cleaning up from an audit on v2 like really what we needed to do is like we took a really long and hard look after all these after the ronin exploit and um decided to just make a lot of changes uh, to be honest 
And we also like have a pretty complex roadmap for Mosaic phase three and just like escalated some of those features up to Mosaic phase two for not only for security, but also for like speed as well. Um, and so, yeah, where we're at there is like hoping, you know, over the next few weeks to like wrap up development there. And then kind of as soon as Mosaic is, is ready, you know, we can then proceed with our like full launch timeline which i'm really excited to just you know do the pika tge and yeah. bridge assets etc cetera, etc cetera. are you guys feeling ready to go on pika yeah so i would say like the the main reason why we have not done the pika tge yet is because mm -hmm. we want to like to be honest looking at all these other kuzama tokens just shipping uh with pretty much nothing to do with the token. Like it's been kind of like painful, brutal to yeah. watch. Yeah. yeah. And like, I feel like honestly, everybody will thank us for having delayed because to be honest, uh, we will like when Pika ships, it ships directly into an ecosystem that already has an AMM that already has these sure. FNFTs that already has like a bunch of stuff that you can do with Pika itself. Uh, and so I think like, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, like delay um, is delay is always like a negative thing. But I think in a year from now, everybody will probably like look back and not remember the negativity surrounding the delay. I mean, Akala is doing this thing with Wormhole, uh, which is like, I mean, I'm curious to see how that develops. But uh, yeah, like we would just prefer to just use Mosaic and get the assets from EVM over. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on something. In 10 years from now, is EVM still going to be a thing? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with no, actually. Wow. And the, the reason simply being that a lot of the bugs, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the bugs that the EVM has had, you know, mm -hmm. uh, can be fixed by just using a very simple, a very, uh, there's a word for this, a defensive programming language slash execution environment. And I think Rust, you know, this is where Rust comes in, as well as this idea of a WASM contract environment. And I think, you know, a lot of people, even people at the Ethereum Foundation are starting to look at uh, a WASM execution environment. They call it the EWASM. Um, uh -huh. Because, of course, as you know, the EVM was written in a hurry. It was written in a rush. Uh, yeah. Not really mature. And we're starting to see that, like, maybe we shouldn't secure billions of dollars with uh, an execution environment that was written in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Know? So, uh, yeah, I don't think we'll see EVM that much anymore. Uh, I, I'm bullish for Cosm Wasm and, you know, the sort of Cambrian explosion of Wasm contract environments, alternative Wasm contract environments that will happen. And the beautiful thing is that all these Wasm environments, they might provide like very different host APIs, like pre-compiles is what they call them in developer speak, but they will all essentially be compatible with each other. You could write a contract for Cosm Wasm and a new Wasm environment comes up and it's still the same code, right? But then you're just using a different function for different things. And you could just put those things behind, you know, feature flags, oh, this function is used when we're in, say, a Solana Wasm environment, or this function gets used when we're in a, uh, this Cosm Wasm environment or this function gets used when we're in the Inc. Uh, Wasm environment. Like, it's all the same. 
Um, I think that will definitely uh, be the future of you know, smart contracts. Okay. So when Mosaic goes live, Brainjar, when do you think that's going to happen? Like, uh, you don't have to give a hard date here, but is it like two weeks or more like three months or more or longer? We're aiming to ship everything like Mosaic, Pablo, like Pico, TGE, all these things, ideally before Decoded. Whoa, uh, no way. I mean, yeah, that's, that is like the intention, okay. right? Like, yeah, yeah. To be honest, because like, honestly, like being very real, um, we pretty much built DeFi primitives. We built Apollo, we built Cubic, we built Pablo, we built all these other pallets, yeah. literally because these things didn't exist uh, and right. don't exist. And like, there are entire other teams dedicated to building a DEX or like dedicated to building an Oracle. And like, we just did those things. Um, but the real focus, long-term focus of Composable is XCBM and is this bridging stuff that Sean and his team are, are doing. That's like what I would like our core focus to be into the future. And, and that's kind of why we're interested in like shipping all these things before uh, decoded because yeah, like from my personal perspective, um, the long-term impact of the DeFi primitives is kind of just going to be like sparking interest into Kuzama and Polkadot, hopefully putting it on the map more. Yeah. Uh, and then I think from there, like really the focus should be XCBM. So I'd say like uh, the DeFi stuff we've been doing is like simply because we're good at DeFi and like we just saw a need, but I think the real brain power now behind like the giga brains on the team is going to like shipping xcbm and so i think that's like this chapter of like the DeFi primitive building stuff that we needed to do was very simply for traction not just oh. for us but also for the ecosystem and hmm. then i think chapter two is this extreme focus on bridging and and uh, xcbm but it's not like you're ever going to let the DeFi stuff lay to rest, right? I mean, the more XCVM develops. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it just becomes like a full flywheel where these DeFi primitives uh, are like getting constantly tapped into through the through like anything built with XCVM. Right. And, and honestly, I think these DeFi primitives like Angular, et cetera, the stuff that Labs is doing will all like kind of upgrade into an XCVM framework uh, over like a longer term. So you can imagine Pablo not just being a DEX on Dotsama, but potentially also becoming like a proper DEX aggregator across all ecosystems. And so like yeah. the scope of these DeFi primitives becomes way more massive once XCVM ships. Okay, so right now you have a bunch of people who very enthusiastically uh, contributed to your crowd loan. They're sitting on this promise of Pika tokens, which you know may or may not come before decoded. Uh, maybe you can like walk us through quickly what people are going to be able to do once they get those Pika tokens. Just walk us through like the first several steps of uh, utility that these tokens are going to have. So first of all, there's like going to be the uh, ability to like LP with these things into the decks. Uh, bonding for Pablo, that's another opportunity. And then, of course, the FNFTs stuff like Chaos, basically right. locking up your Pika for a period of time to get an FNFT, um, which is also a brand new concept. 
I don't think any other team has, has really done that, but yeah. yeah. So that's going to be like the base level um, utility. And then like, there's more things planned from there, like with specifically the FNFT. So once we've seen enough adoption of the FNFTs, those things then control things like liquidity, uh, gauges for emissions and, and rewards for other DeFi protocols. Um, so yeah, it, it becomes like the start of a pretty actively managed ecosystem. The FNFTs, this is kind of taking a more fundamental view of NFTs is just how much you locked, when you locked it, and when it becomes unlocked. And then that entitles the holder, whoever holds it, to uh, rewards from the entire ecosystem. And also like gives you you know, governance power, gives you the ability to uh, direct the treasury once we have that pallet live um, for like things like liquidity mining, things like liquidity incentives, um, controlling like, you know, potentially we could issue bonds uh, directly from the treasury as well. So as as far as like trying to actually, and then of course, like down the line, we're interested in, you know, doing something um, like liquid Pika. So being able to stake your Pika with a collator set and have them essentially like stake the Pika that users have delegated to them. Uh, so that also just like earns a base level APY similar to like, you know, where the APY for Luna and UST comes from. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's that's going to be I think the longer term goal is like Pika really becomes this um cornerstone like I hope that everybody holding Pika essentially becomes like a active member of the community and like participates in governance and like really cares about how our treasury is getting spent and how it's getting used for like liquidity direction and and stuff like that. You guys are doing an LBP on uh, on uh, on P- on uh, on Pablo or Pika? That's right. Okay. On Pablo, yeah, on yeah, Pablo. yeah. So okay. it's, yeah, so essentially, the day the TG happens, there will be a pool of essentially um, like the first pool that will be on Pablo will be Pika USDC. So we'll do like a LBP to essentially like set the price for Pika. Yeah. And then from there, Pika like unlocks, everybody can claim and the price for Pika. And then we like set up, of course, like a, a set of liquidity pools on Pablo that people can mess around with. Damn. Okay. Well, that is, uh, that's very exciting. Guys, I-, I would love to talk a lot longer. Like I'd like to know about like what happened with Bribe and how's uh, the Composable Labs going and fitting in. We just released the vision post, by the way, for Labs just just today oh do you want to give us a quick rundown on what was there yeah yeah sure so i think um labs really uh has been i think the mission of labs was always let's build protocols utilizing composables tech stack okay fine but what we realized is actually there's also not really like an incubator for substrate based DeFi. um at all Hmm. and i think labs's scope has now expanded to become kind of the substrate native powerhouse for DeFi. um and of course they're still building up building on our tech stack but i would Mm -hmm. say 
you know, now the focus really is, well, let's, let's build, you know, Angular, let's build uh, several other products that are in the pipeline. But these things are essentially like labs has its own team. Uh, they sync with us very regularly, but mm -hmm. they have their own team. They have their own products. Um, and these products will basically just live on Picasso. Uh, and then of course on the, on the Polkadot parachain as well. So this is how, like, if a third-party team had a great DeFi idea and they wanted to build it on Substrate, this is where they'd go to make it happen? Essentially, yeah. It's, so it's kind of like a cross between an incubator and, like, just straight up running the projects ourselves. Because, like, mm -hmm. to be honest with you, like, what you just said about, like, founders showing up with a great idea, like, if you can find me those people, that would be amazing. But, like, so <laughs> okay. far in so far in our like research is very few and far between so the approach that we decided with labs is like quite literally let's just build the ideas we have let's just run these projects ourselves and um in the future like you know can find people to uh remain dedicated to these things of course as like labs has six seven projects like the current team won't be able to manage everything associated with it Okay, gotcha. So, okay, cool. So you, you'll get ideas kind of running and then you'll find the teams to, to keep building them out. I mean, I would say, yeah, I would say it's, there's already, there's already kind of sub teams within labs that work on specific I products. I'm saying, I think more, I think essentially they're going to, uh, yeah, it's like build the products, ship them. They live within the composable sort of brand. Like they'll be on our discord. They won't have, fragmented communities like it'll be sort of like within our uh umbrella okay and then over time what i guess over time the long-term vision is we want to actually approach this like nested parachain concept and when that happens then i would assume each one of these like sub teams needs to like you know have their own you know ceo and coo and all these uh -huh. like it depends, right? It really just depends. Like I, I'm a firm believer in like projects, not necessarily like a single team being able to run multiple projects, as long as the community is composable between hmm. each project, you know, hmm. it's really just about the community. Um, Cause you can spin up like three, four five, you know, developers per team. And you're probably going to have a solid enough, like core group. But cool, Sean. Uh, what what's uh, what's you and your team working on uh, right now? Right. So we've just finished the implementation for Pilot IBC and Substrate. We're sort of benchmarking it currently. Then we're also trying to basically put all the things in place. You know, the relayer, the uh, the beefy like client in IBC. Set all these put all these places in place. Put all these pieces okay. in place for an integration test. Um, we're working with the Strangelove team, that's Jack okay. and his team, and they essentially maintain, you know, this IBC integration test suite, and we're working to integrate that into our, into our, you know, sort of CI process and uh, test out all the pieces we've been building out independently for, like, months now. And, you know, once everything is green on that end, uh, we'll be deploying yeah. Centauri to testnet, you know, basically open it up for anyone to play with, um, as well as developers to try and see what they can hack and build with it. So yeah, our goal is getting Centauri on testnet. Okay, cool. Well, what's the first um, uh, what's the first uh, use case that's going to be uh, utilized there? I mean, obviously token transfers. Uh, but Bridge, I'm sure has other ideas. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I think the first, I think the first like announcement we'll do is like we'll do a testnet, the testnet like transfer between our chain and Osmosis, cool. for instance. Uh, like yeah, I mean we'll yeah, more on that like when it actually happens. But that's that's at least the intention. We've been talking a lot with Sunny and like um, we should be in a position hopefully like end of this month to like talk more about this. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, guys, I just wanted to end on, on one last question. because I, I have a buddy of mine, actually. He just went through a uh, crash course uh, for developing Solidity smart contracts. Uh, what would you say to anybody who just went through a similar course? What sort of direction would you give them to get on the cutting edge of blockchain development? So I'm pretty biased in the way I view the crypto ecosystem. I don't think that like uh, I think there's a lot of problems at the at the infrastructure layer, that's at the blockchain layer. You know, we have problems like scalability, interoperability, privacy, um, and they all need to be solved before the application layer blockchains can then become ubiquitous and then you know actually reach its potential. I so I would not advise anyone to learn Solidity at this time. I would say pick up Rust and okay. you know join us where we're deep dark in the mempool. You know, hacking together blocks and uh, trying to figure this stuff out. Basically, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, Brainjar, what, what's your advice? Honestly, like if someone really, if I was to be a developer right now, I would learn Rust and then I would learn everything possible about Z, like ZK oh. stuff, essentially. That. Yeah, because like. There are some, there are some like really heavy hitter teams out there getting into the yeah. ZK sp space, and like, I don't think anybody is really prepared for what ZK is going to bring about. And it's, it's kind of a meme right now where like everybody just throws ZK <laughs> at everything. But honestly, like, we will see very, very clear examples of incredibly bullish applications getting built using cool. ZK and, stuff. Uh, composable finance, so you guys have your finger on the pulse of ZK? Most definitely. Most definitely. But no alpha uh, leaks on that it's... one. No alpha <laughs> leaks on that one. All right. All right, guys. Well, it's always exciting to talk to you. Really looking forward to what you have at Polkadot Decoded. So just thanks again for everything you're building, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. This was great. Cheers. Thank you, sir.